Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. If you've been here a while, you know that I'm Rachel Marshall, we have Bruce Weiner, and we have a standing guest. I would say, Rabbi Lappin, we have had you on the show several times with outstanding feedback, many, many questions, many comments, and tremendous well welcome. So welcome today back to the show. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking again and kind of diving deeper into this concept of the Bible and money. And if you are in a position of saying, well, I, I, love the Bible, I'm following the Bible, but I I know it talks about money, but how do I have a healthy perspective? How do I recognize that the Bible is speaking about financial prosperity? I want you to tune in today because we're going to unpack, Rabbi Lappin is going to unpack some biblical wisdom that really helps guide you to financial prosperity. So today we're going to talk about biblical principles that you can apply to increase your revenue, and really why the Bible does guide people towards financial prosperity. If you want to deepen your faith while improving your finances and build your financial life on a solid foundation, this is the place for you to be today. So if you have not met Rabbi Daniel Lappin, let me just give you a little bit of background information, and he is going to wow you today with just the depth that he shares. He is a a wealth of knowledge. So he's an author, speaker, and TV host. He immigrated to the U.S. from South... Let me just start that part again. He immigrated to the U.S. from South Africa after studying mathematics, physics, and economics in Israel and the U.K. Some of his seven books are America's Real War, Business Secrets from the Bible, fabulous book, and Thou Shall Prosper, The Ten Commandments for Making Money, all of which has have been translated into Chinese and Korean. He is a frequent speaker for trade groups, political and and civic organizations, financial conferences, and companies in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. He regularly guests on radio and television shows. Newsweek magazine included him in its first list of America's 50 most influential rabbis. His weekly podcast now enjoys over 100,000 downloads, as do his weekly columns. With his wife, Susan, which I've met, she's a fabulous person as well. He hosts the daily TCT television show, Ancient Jewish Wisdom, an enthusiastic boater who has sailed his family across the Pacific in their own boat. The Lappins, who homeschooled their seven children, live in Maryland. And his website, we'll just say at the beginning here, is youneedarabbi.com. So Rabbi, what a pleasure to have you back on the show today. Great to be here. Thank you, Rachel. And and thank you, Bruce. I'm delighted to be back. Wonderful. Well, let's just dive in with kind of just a a big picture perspective here. You really have specialized in studying and teaching the origins and applications of Jewish financial success. Why is that a passion for you? And why is that something that people are wanting to hear from you? Um, First of all, it's... uh... It's satisfying because it's um, it's complex, and what I mean by that is that um, li- life is complex, and any attempt to uh, solve the problems of life with a slogan or a keyword or a simple solution 
uh, is doomed to failure. Um, people regularly ask me, um, you know, what is the secret to making money? Or the way it got asked to me a different way uh, just this last week on, a, on an interview, the host said, so when you get right down to it, what is the single uh, most important secret to a good marriage? Mm. And I gave the same answer that I do for the secret to making money. The one most important secret to making money and the one most important secret to having a great marriage is knowing that there is no one secret. Um, because any attempt to reduce something as complex as finances or as complex as a marriage to one slogan is doomed to failure. And, uh, and that's why it is that uh, in, in almost every format that one tries to uh, embark on that folly of, of finding one single thing, you know, think of, of some of the uh, uh, some of the little sayings and aphorisms that that we all remember. Um, you know, uh, look before you leap. Right? I'm, I remember my mother telling me, "Look before you leap." You know. Uh, well, I pretty soon figured out that the right way to respond to her, uh, as a very very annoying, obnoxious eleven year old, was to say, "Oh, I should look before I leap." Yes, you should. Well, then how about he who hesitates is lost? <laughs> you know, and she didn't find that amusing. <laughs> um, or how about the, uh, you know, the soldier being deployed and he said a fond farewell to his girlfriend and, um, and he's uh, sitting on the truck and his buddy says, hey, don't worry, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And he's just feeling better when the buddy on the other side says, well, on the other hand, um, you know, we've also got uh, um, uh, out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> and so, you, you know, you're doomed if you try. Well, I'm afraid the Bible is just like that. If, if you're going to try and solve this in a simplistic way and find verses, a verse here or a verse there that helps you with finances, you're going to be doomed because uh, anybody who knows his way around the Bible will find a verse uh, that says one thing and then another verse that apparently says the opposite. Uh, you know, you can pull a verse out of Proverbs that speaks about, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the value of, of managing with, you know, nothing but bread and water. And then another one that says, uh, you know, wealth is, is uh, abundance is a blessing. You can find whatever you want. It's all there. And so I found it very challenging um, to, to realize that when you got right down to it, um, the, the, the question I was always asked was, why are Jews so disproportionately good with money? And uh, it turned out to be a very worthwhile field of study that nobody had really done, mm. um, and certainly not for general consumption. I mean, there's, a, there's material on this in, written in Aramaic that's never been translated. There's material on this on, in Hebrew that's never been translated. Um, but in terms of uh, really unpacking it, to use your word, Rachel, and making it accessible in a useful way uh, for people of every background or no background, uh, that fell to me. And I embraced the task with, with great joy and with great enthusiasm. And um, uh, it turned out that, yes, there was a reason why the people of the book, you know, why the, the, the Hebrew people the people of Israel had done so disproportionately well with money. 
um, and not just in great, wonderful countries, but also in tyrannical regimes. And, you know, not just in the 20th or 21st century, but also in the 18th and 17th and 15th, uh, when, um, when England kicked its Jews out in the 12th century, uh, there was a very good reason for doing so, and that is that uh, Jews ha- held the mortgages on much of the aristocratic property in England, as Winston Churchill points out. And here's one of the great things about killing people to whom you owe money. Your debt vanishes. Yes, very Sure, much. yes. So, um, and so they uh, realized they had the solution to the problem of all being indebted. They just got rid of all the Jews. Uh, many dying in the process, and and England's financial fortunes plummeted, and it stayed that way. If you you know you'll see England's financial fortunes like went south from that point onwards because you took away a part of the population that was extremely effective in generating wealth, and it didn't. It wasn't until the middle of the 17th century that um, um, that the the British brought the Jews back. Um, uh, under Oliver Cromwell, and uh, and that's what actually laid the foundation for why the Industrial Revolution launched in about 1750 in England, because all of a sudden, you know, after the Jews were back there for 100 years, there was actually capital to underwrite the development of the steam engine and the spinning jenny and uh, and all the other early manifestations of uh, of the Industrial Revolution. So, mm. uh, you know, where, where does all this come from? From uh, a, a deeper analysis of scripture where it's not so simple. And, and that's essentially the subject of my book, Thou Shall Prosper, and my book, Bury Business Secrets from the Bible, and also the online course at my website called Financial Prosperity. Um, it's, you know, all, all part of the same thing. And, and, you know, these things are not quite so simple. I can give you an example, if you like, or I can, I can shut up also. Well, we'll never tell you to shut up because there's too much wisdom going on here. I I know you sometimes wouldn't believe I'm capable of silence. (laughs) I do want to share something that as I'm hearing you speak, I'm realizing that often if we look at the Bible, for instance, in one scripture at a time and we deep dive and we look at individual words and we look at the meaning and we try to understand all of what's happening. I mean, it's a giant book with a lot of details and a lot of information. And I think just like in anything in life, it can be easy to get lost in the small picture, the small, fine details that you can say, well, how do I make sense of all of this? And so it, what I just was realizing that you're saying is instead of looking at all the small, fine details, first figure out what is the context? What is the overarching schematic, I'm going to use one of your words, the framework, the the principles that all of this fits under. So you're understanding from a big picture perspective, which for me, I love because big picture is so much more important to me. And I would dare to say it's probably really important to a lot of people as well to understand where are we going? Why does this matter? What's the main point? And as soon as you know that, then you have this desire and the ability to then dig into the fine details and make sense of them. Whereas it, the meaning can get lost if you're just looking through the minutia. And so what I'm hearing that you said is, let me, you, you rabbi, 
took the fine details and you said, let me show you what the principles are to make sense of this so that you can dig into the details of scripture and understand how to apply them. And that's just a beautiful way of helping people to gain true understanding. Rachel, that's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. I, I hope I can convey this. I, I think one of the reasons that uh, the Jewish people um, are so good about this is because they are looking at wisdom from thousands of years ago. And anything that survives for thousands of years, it, there's a reason it survives. And then they're, they're also looking with their families to continue this wisdom for thousands and thousands of years going forward. And, and I believe there's been a lot of pressure on people that do not take this wisdom to, to actually hastily try to obtain wealth. And anything that's hastily obtained is, is, can actually be hastily begotten really quickly. And so that is the reason I think that uh, looking back a thousand years and looking forward thousands of years is why the wisdom actually survives. And you know, if I can get a little bit into the modern era now, you know, as our central government continues to try to manipulate our monetary policy, I can see where people then turn to us and say, wait a minute, tell me what to do because I can't rely on history to actually help me, which is true because, you know, a lot of us financial advisors say, well, for the last 50 years, well, the last 50 years, are not thousands of years. Yes. And as we continue to manipulate the the situation, it puts people at odds. I'll give you a great example. You know, bonds right now are not a safe place to be. And yet we were always taught that if you want to have safe your money safe, put it in bonds. Well, we we don't have time nor is this the place to actually talk about why that is, but this is why people are so hungered for what should I do? And I think of using the wisdom of the Bible and the guidelines and principles is where people have to take their own responsibility and say, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to learn the principle and guidelines of ancient wisdom and apply it going forward. Yes. No, that, that's exactly right. And uh, an, an example of that might be that um, uh, the opening verse of the Bible that almost anybody raised with a foundation in Western civilization knows or, or should know, although I am aware that we're living in strange times today where influential people literally do not know a single true fact about the Bible. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think there's been a time like that in the last 2,000 years. I really don't. Not, not in Greece, not in Rome, not in Israel, not in Great Britain, not even in Sweden or Germany. Um, where, you know, one thinks about the enormous impact on society, on government, on education, that a religious event like the Protestant Reformation had at the beginning of the 16th century. Everybody understood the, the impact of religion. Um, it, it, it was well known. And, uh, I mean, even, uh, even the, the whole linkage between fertility and um, and uh, e economic prosperity, the idea that if a country's population declines, its finances tend to go down, um, it's it's something that was understood. And in England, it was up till very recently, uh, the law didn't recognise a prenuptial agreement. And there's this case law that goes back four hundred years on this in England, where couples try to get married with a contract that 
stipulates no children. And, and British law denies that and says, no, this is what's called contra bona mores. This is against public interest. You mm. cannot do that. And even as late as 1959 uh, in New York, the, the court in New York did not allow a, a marriage with a no child clause in the prenup. Again, saying it was against the public interest because everybody knows getting married and having children is a sacred task. And uh, it's, it's a, an obligation that members of a society accept in order to ensure a future. So, um, again, you know, something really basic and fundamental. Uh, something else, the opening of the, the first word of Scripture, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And uh, ancient Jewish wisdom uh, points out right there that it could more economically have written, in the beginning, God created everything. You know, what's heaven and earth? Well, heaven and earth are two separate categories of information. Uh, one is um, information that is earthly, it's materialistic. Another form of information um, is uh, it, it's ephemeral. It's, it's heaven. You, you can't touch it. What are we talking about? Well, it's something, again, that uh, the Jewish people have always understood to, to their credit and to their benefit, which is that there's a form of knowledge which is earthly, and this you can roughly call it science, technology, discovery, medicine. In all of these things, every successive generation knows more than the one before it. And so, you know, it's very possible that my grandchild will understand better than I do uh, the collapse of the wave function of a particle at random moments. You know, I, I, I try and wrap my head around it. It baffles me. But my grandchild probably will get that down because every successive generation. Uh, I'm not going to go to a doctor who graduated, if I could, medical school in the 1700s because doctors of the 21st century know more than doctors of the 17th century. And so it is in all these areas. However, when we come to the things that never change, well, on those, we actually seem to know less as time goes by. What are the things that never change? Well, uh, the fact that when we're teenagers, we think our parents are dumb. And when we enter our 20s and 30s, we're surprised how intelligent they've become. Um, this, this changing understanding of parents, it's as old as humanity. And so I don't want to look at the latest issue of psychology today to find out about that. Uh, I'm just as happy going back to information that's 2,000 years old on that. Um, how, to, how to raise children. How about the ideal spacing of children? Should children be spaced every three years, every two years? Like, what's the principles there? Once again, that's not something our great-grandparents did not deal with. And money, astonishingly, falls into that category as well. Our relationship to, to the necessaries of life and the idea of being able to transfer the, um, the strange thing called value to an abstract symbol, like a paper disc or a piece of a, a, a paper a note or a disc of metal or a check or whatever you want to make it, uh, all of those things haven't changed. Now, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, obviously, these are new things, but the essential relationship we have to money hasn't changed. The idea that inflation is caused by a dishonest and immoral government. Mm -hmm. It's not caused by a foreign 
prime minister invading another country. It's not caused by another country. It's not caused by anything. It's not caused by the avocado crop in Mexico. Uh, Inflation is caused by the government in charge of that sovereign zone and its currency being immoral and dishonest and printing more so it can win friends and influence people by distributing money it doesn't have. Uh, that's there is no other way. Call it quantitative easing or printing money. It's all the same thing. It is a government being immoral. Now, that information didn't come to me from uh, the Financial Times yesterday. That came to me from one of these books written 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. because nothing of that has changed. And the idea that um, if you see inflation as ongoing and you dismiss um Secretary Yellen's uh, fantasy that it's transitory, and you dismiss the White House's fantasy that it's it's short-lived, and you think it's long-lived, well, then there are certain principles. You've got to know that money loses its value. And right now, in my own opinion, and I, we may have discussed this, but in my opinion, it's, it's not 9.1% as the government acknowledges. It's between 15 and 20% at best. And so um, if my money is losing value at the rate of over a percent a month, then obviously I have to find a way to increase my revenue because Mm -hmm. otherwise I'm sliding backwards down the down escalator. And so, again, uh, my books and my financial prosperity course are focused not on how to invest and not how to get out of debt. There are many, many wonderful experts on those topics. It's specifically on how to use ancient Jewish wisdom to get a raise, to find another gig, to get an additional job, to change jobs, to start your own business. You have to increase your income. It's not written on granite anywhere that you are now earning exactly what you possibly can. It's not inscribed in the heavens that uh, you cannot make more than, of course you can. You just have to be led very specifically in a shockingly revolutionary direction. And, and that's what ancient Jewish wisdom does. Um, if, if now is a very tough time to have savings because the value of every dollar you have in savings is corroding away at a frightening rate, then maybe it's the right time to borrow money and pay it back with devalued dollars down the road. These are really important questions that that people have to address. But the beauty of ancient Jewish wisdom, in my experience, is that uh, it doesn't try to give you specific answers. It's not like a horoscope in your morning newspaper, you know, oh, today's the day. No, it's not how it works. But it does give you the permanent principles and the timeless truths that allow you to analyze current circumstances in the light of your own life. That is fascinating. And I love that you're talking about the the breadth of this true wisdom that helps you to make wise decisions and to really understand what's going on. Otherwise, there can be new terms on things or or you just spin it differently. and, And all of a sudden, we can easily be led as people down the path of saying, oh, well, I guess this is the most important thing because the news is telling me it is. And so here's what I should put my attention and my focus on. And then pretty soon we don't understand what's actually happening beneath because our attention and our consciousness is being directed to what is in someone else's best interest for us to believe and to know rather than the truth. So I love that you're coming back to solid truth. So you have this 
tremendous perspective of saying, okay, I can take control of my life by increasing my revenue. I don't have to just be concerned about the stock market might be going down. I've, uh, you know, interest rates, they're rising. And, and now we're, we're looking at a situation where, um, inflation, we've got all of these factors happening and we can say, well, I'm, I'm just going to be in a bad position because all of these things are happening outside of my control. But you're saying you can apply true wisdom to really understand what to do so that you can take control of your financial life. And the number one way you can do that is by increasing your income. So why focus on making money, not just being a better person or um, having better character or having a better family? Why does focusing on making more money actually impact all those other areas and make you the person that you really need to be? Um, yeah, it's a very important question, of course, because people sometimes say that to me. Well, you know, you're supposed to be a rabbi. Shouldn't you be focused on on people's souls and helping people to better themselves? Well, uh, the answer is, um, is, is disturbingly simple. And I say disturbingly because uh, the, the natural intuitive response of many people when I, I present this um, is to, to reject it with a degree of indignation. And and here it is. Uh, as any enthusiast of the game knows, uh, it is possible to be an excellent tennis player and a horrible human being. We, mm -hmm. We've seen that happen, you know, on the tennis court for for years. Um, it's it's possible to be a really good racing car driver and be a, a horrible human being. Um, the the truth. <laughs> As a car enthusiast, I actually can't think of any horrible racing car drivers right now. I just all the ones that come to mind, like Mario Andretti, are, are terrific people. But um, but theoretically, there's no reason why you couldn't be a horrible person and uh, and still be a very competent racing car driver. Uh, you can be a horrible person and a popular politician, as heaven knows we've seen. Um, and you and and so it is with uh, with many 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 fields. The one exception is the field of business because in the final analysis business happens and money is made when two human beings serve one another yes. it might be an exchange it might be a transaction uh it it might be um uh, a, a service but whatever it is it's two human beings. Now, these human beings might represent large corporations or, or even countries, but in the final analysis, uh, it's one uh, person or entity represented by a person saying, look, here's how I can improve your life. And the other one says, yeah, uh, I'm for that. And in so doing, your own life is also being improved. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, uh, you know, every single person who sells something on eBay finds the truth of the statement they are selling something and they because they much prefer the money than keeping the object and the person acquiring uh, the object much prefers having the object to the money he paid for it otherwise since nobody pointed a gun at anyone else they wouldn't have done it mm -hmm. and so at the end of the transaction you've got two strangers both smiling two strangers are both happy two strangers are better off than they were before and uh, that only happens when um, people know one another and like one another and trust one another. And the interesting thing about online transactions, whether it's eBay or Uber or anything else, is the extent to which they depend upon online reputation. Mm -hmm. 
And that's exactly this. Basically, it's saying, here's how you can know I'm a nice person. Because nobody wants to do business with not nice people. It gets to be too expensive and unpleasant and time-consuming. It's horrible. And so that becomes really important. And uh, if uh, the system of online um, reputation building should, God forbid, become uh, corrupted, that will be the end of, of online transactions. If I can no longer trust the, the entity I'm dealing with, whether it's an Amazon seller or it's an, uh, it's an eBay seller, whatever it is, um, you know, it's, it's all over. And so the, the truth is that business is the only field that I am aware of where uh, it favors a good person. Mm -hmm. And so um, essentially what I could say is, hey, I'm not interested in advertising and marketing and, because, you know, that's, uh, those are all just selfish things. I'm interested in serving other human beings. And somebody might say to me, well, come on, don't try and be a saint. You're only doing it for the profit. And the answer is that in any moral system, you cannot indict somebody because of thoughts he had, and you cannot reward somebody because of thoughts we had, because I don't know what's in your heart. I sometimes barely know what's in my own. And so... Uh, uh, a hate crime was a terrible development in the United States of America during the 90s. It was a horrible thing because what it was saying was that Tom can do something to Jim and Jerry can do something to Joe, and those two actions are exactly the same, but Tom gets punished differently from Jerry because the state is going to decide what was in Tom's mind. <laughs> he hated. And so really, really, really bad. And it leads to the corruption of a judicial system. And so um, in, in a, a transaction, so you might say you're only doing it because of the profit you're going to make. I'm saying, hey, I love serving other people. And the person says, well, yeah, but you're making pretty good money doing that. And I say, yeah, but you can't get into my head or my heart. You don't know why I'm doing it. You may just be projecting your own venality onto me. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're right. It doesn't matter. The action is nonetheless a very good action. I am improving somebody else's life. The fact that I'm benefiting from so doing is good, not bad. Mm -hmm. Well, and you look at the same situation. I mean, I have a person going into business realizing, oh, I just want to serve people only. I don't want to learn marketing. I don't want to learn sales. I don't want to learn marketing copy. Well, in that case, one human maybe on the whole planet is going to know that you have some value to offer. So you have to actually get good at those other things, yeah. which those skills then require you to understand the person that you're serving so that you can communicate in words that make sense to them so that they actually want what you have. And really the truth is, if you're, if you're not serving people well, your marketing doesn't work. If you're providing something for free that nobody's interested in, well, they're not going to opt in to what you're providing. If you offer something for sale and nobody's purchasing, well, either the price is too high or nobody wanted what you were selling in the first place. So truly what you're saying is seek to understand people's needs and fulfill and satisfy those needs. We all have a unique skill set and unique uh, a way of thinking about the world yeah. that we can deliver value to others. And Absolutely. that is fantastic to be compensated for that. And if you are a smart person in business, you will find out a way to scale that to more people so that you can continue to serve 
instead of maybe three people, you could, with the same effort, serve a thousand people and all of those thousand people's lives now are improved to the point that only three people's were before and you're in a position of yes being compensated as a result but i think i think people get it mixed up when they say well if you're just all about the money well you're never going to make money in the first place if you really are just hungering for the money and you don't care about serving people right, you don't care about their needs you, you have make to it. focus on customer service you even focus on pleasing your own employees. Otherwise, you have a very low retention rate. It becomes expensive. You uh, you you want to please your vendors so as you have long-term vending relationships. So yes, it all, it's all about pleasing other people. And secular Bible scholars, now that's an oxymoron if there ever was such a thing, but many, <laughs> many uh, universities have courses on the Bible taught by secular scholars. Listen, Interesting. hearing about the Bible from a secular Bible scholar is like hearing about improving sexuality and marriage from the Pope. I mean, the Holy Father is is good for so many things, but that that just isn't one of them. Um, and so, uh, uh, in 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 this area as well, a secular Bible scholar thinks that in the second chapter of Genesis, not good for man to be alone, is nothing more than a discussion of Adam's matrimonial prospects. But ancient Jewish wisdom expands it and links it to other um, circumstances in Scripture to show that it is a general statement, which is God doesn't want us to be disconnected from one another. And he incentivizes us to be connected with one another. And one of those ways is through money. That's part of what's discussed in the first couple of chapters. And, um, and again, these things are not readily apparent. But that's why I like saying everybody needs a rabbi. That's absolutely awesome. Now, I already know that our time is passing too fast, and I'm looking at uh, we still have so much more we'd like to cover. So can, can you unpack this for a moment? So many people look at the Bible and say, the Bible is useful for helping me understand what God says about me, grow in my faith, have a, a religious or develop my religion or understand the world from a spiritual formation perspective. Maybe it's good for discipleship and mentoring and, and having a, a healthy worldview and a healthy relationship with God. So that piece makes sense. But you're also saying, well, the Bible not only talks about money, but it guides people to financial prosperity. So is that a contradiction? No, of course not. Um, it, not at all, because, uh, uh, the, the the overall goal of the good Lord uh, is that people should care for one another. And it doesn't surprise me that a good and loving God should actually reward me for doing what he wants me to do. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the way the tax code is written in the United States. It's written to incent people to get what they want. So a good and loving God is actually incenting you to do what he thinks is good. Yeah. He's saying, look, care of other people. we all know that money doesn't make you happy, right? And, and that's true. You only have to take a look at what happens to uh, uh, people who win the lottery. And it's, it's really hard to find lottery winners who five years later have better lives. Mm -hmm. things, things just go wrong. Uh, getting money doesn't uh, improve. Now, as far as I know, and there may be exceptions, but as far as I've been able to find, the only two languages that have a specific word for earn, E-A-R-N, to earn money, is English and Hebrew. Uh, but in Spanish, in Italian, in French, 
uh, winning money and getting money and making, they're all the same word. And it's a big mistake because getting money doesn't make you happy. Mm-hmm. Winning money doesn't make you happy. But earning money actually makes you very happy. I love that you shared that. And actually, I was just going to comment on the fact that the Hebrew Bible does not have a word for winning money. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yes. How do you so, know? That's very few well, people know that. So Lucas is reading um, Business Secrets from the Bible, and ah. he's been taking our whole family through a div- And that's one of your books. So just a huge plug for Business Secrets from the Bible. And so he's been then unpacking that during our family devotional time. And so we've been walking through step by step. And I knew you were going to talk about the heaven and the earth and the spiritual and physical because that's in the book. Yes. And then also this idea that there is no such thing in the Hebrew language, which the Hebrew language is very telling of the way the world works because it is an ancient language, has no word for winning money. You don't win money, you earn money. And I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, And and that makes a huge difference. And and so, um, yeah, so so yes, the the Bible is God's instruction manual uh, for improved living. And part of that is earning money, making money. The only way to do that is to serve another human being, which is exactly what God wants you to be doing in the first place. Which is being connected, which is also having to develop your ability to be a little bit less selfish and think more about others, right? And so there, yeah, very specific things. So for instance, um, I hear all the time people at financial seminars will come up to me afterwards and say, well, I heard what you said, but it wouldn't work for me because I'm an introvert. And, um, and I have to explain. I understand that you're an introvert. And what you are taking that to mean is not, not strictly that you're one of those people who finds themselves recharged in quiet times. Um, but you're going beyond that. You're saying, you know, you're happy not being involved with people. And you're saying that's just how you are. Um, so I'm going to walk you through the sections of the Bible, I'd say to him, that, uh, that show you that you have a spiritual sickness. It's, it's like having a dermatological problem, you know. Um, you've got a, a horrible rash, you know, all over your back. Well, it's it's swimming season, and you're going to be in a bathing suit. I mean, do you really want to walk around with that ugly-looking rash all over your back? Why don't you just tell people, hey, you know what? I'm just an ugly back rash kind of guy. That's all I am. You know, no, you don't do that. You you fix it up, and you got to do exactly the same thing. And so the Bible has an avenue for how to cure this spiritual ailment, which you've allowed yourself to slide into of not caring about other people. So I'm going to walk you through this, and I'm going to show you how to use biblical principles to change. You don't accept bad things about yourself. You know, you're, you're not a cow or a camel. You're a human being. You can change. And I'm going to show you how to actually like other people, how to actually look forward with eager anticipation to meeting new people and how to lose your fear of putting out your hand and introducing yourself to somebody new. Because all of those things are what God wants us to do. And guess what? When you learn how to do those things that he wants us to do, don't be surprised if he benefits you. I love it. I love it. So um, let's take a quick pause here. We have a lot of comments right now. We have 66 people that I see watching live. Oh, wonderful. Um, we've got Hi, someone, everybody. We've got someone from Canada. 
um, Abir Lungil from South Africa. We've got Javon. I'm not sure where he's from. We've got Kin from Myanmar, um, whose country is going through lots of inflation right now. Yeah. Um, what are, you, are you taking to take some of their comments? Um, mostly, they're just from the location that they're ah, that they're at. So um, Jesus is here. We've got. Um, yeah, we haven't had, I haven't had, had any uh, questions yet. Just uh, people appreciate your content, Rabbi. And, oh, good. Uh, I'm so pleased. Thank you. Very much. The people are so appreciative of your content. Yes. So, Rabbi, as we, um, as we wait to see if there is any kind of questions, um, actually, uh, Eleanor just came from uh, Dubai onto the, the channel, but really it comes down to um, personal responsibility in a lot of uh, well, it should take in every incident, but as we ha continue to have political pressure from our supposed leaders that say, you know, we can solve this for you, people then do not try to increase their own capabilities because they're waiting for people to rescue them. And the, this is the boom and bust cycle that happens all the time in an economy. You know, we have a, prosper a prosperous economy. That is because of artificial uh, injections, and then it comes crashing back down, and then it just keeps repeating itself over and over. If we would have a central government that was not into these artificial in injections for what there is for political reasons, right? They're trying to get reelected. We would have much more stable and gradual increase of wealth going along the way. And we wouldn't feel these times of excessive prosperity and excessive, you know, depression uh, along the way. Yes, but the boom-bust boom cycle is, is produced by immoral government. Right. And, as, and so if we can continue to encourage people to increase their own personal capacity of learning and their personal capacity of making money, then they will not be affected by the boom and bust cycle as much. And I can prove it to you by what we're going through right now is if we do have excessive or infl inflation even greater than what it is, like the rabbi suggests, that is actually hurting people at the lower economic rung than it mm -hmm. is hurting people at the higher economic rung. So then if you can keep yourself progressing towards a higher economic rung, even though we have these boom and bust cycles, you will be able to weather those storms a lot better. And you're not going to be able to weather it because of handouts from the government. Matter of fact, it's been proven now that the handouts from the government are what started it in the first place on both sides of the political aisle. Okay. I'm, I'm not taking sides here. I'm just saying they're, they're all have good intentions, I think, or at least I hope, but they are, they are really messing up the system as they continue to try to manipulate it for their own personal gain. So let's take from there what I'm seeing. I think politicians included and people making fiscal policy that impacts everyone else are all trying to understand and have a good framework for how money works. And they're, I think sometimes if you're using the wrong framework, the wrong understanding about how money works, then you apply the wrong ideas. So I think we only have about 15 minutes left at the at the top here. So what I would like you to do is, can you share some financial principles from biblical wisdom that we all can use to apply to increase our revenue? 
Um, yeah, of course. Um, and and to Bruce's point, uh, yeah, look, um, having the Treasury raise the interest rates is not going to solve inflation. It puts a Band-Aid on inflation, uh, is all it really does, and, um, and more than likely induces a, a recession, almost unavoidably. The government hopes that it'll be a manageable recession. But um, the only way to uh, stop inflation is to stop spending. But that's like saying to a heroin addict, you know, stop shooting up. Um, he's going to die before he stops shooting up. It's almost irresistible. And being able to give away other people's money and have the recipients bow to you and love you and, and vote for you, it's irresistible. And so mm. there really is no way for that to stop. Uh, there's also no way that they're not going to listen to the new high priests of fiscal destruction. Uh, people like Professor Stephanie Kelton at New York University, um, who has persuaded important governmental leaders um, like El Senator Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and many others, um, of something called modern monetary theory. And MMT, or modern monetary theory, is something that the uh, current government of the United States has, has swallowed hook, line, and sinker. And what this says is, hey, you can always print as much money as you like, so you can always spend as much as you like because you can print more money. It's as simple as that, and it's as dumb as that, and it's as untrue as that. Uh, and yet, that's exactly what they believe and what they buy. So, uh, there is no good reason to suppose that at the present time um, in the United States of America, um, uh, 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 inflation is is under control. There's very, very little reason to believe that. Now, uh, there's going to be every attempt made to suppress the awareness of that. One of the ways that's being done right now is by um, finagling the price of gold. Now, again, there's a limit to how long. Uh, the government can um, artificially suppress the price of gold because um, governments feel about gold uh, the way vampires feel about uh, what do vampires hate? Sunlight, crosses. Sunlight. I think sunlight, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they hate gold because gold is the best revealer of governmental duplicity. And so uh, these are things to to watch out for and to to certainly employ in, in your planning. In terms of uh, what you asked, Rachel, uh, some specifics, sure. Look, um, it's not a case of, of tricks. Um, you don't need me to give you a list of 30 side gigs that anybody can do. I mean, this... Everybody, you, you sit down, you talk to people, figure out ways you can help other people. Anybody can come up with their list of things they could do to increase their revenue. Once we help them really believe that it's possible, my goodness, if you just took the time you spend every week watching videos or TikTok or, or any other stupid thing online, if you took that time and devoted it to making more money, you would. Believe me, it's not a, it's, it, it, I guarantee it. It's not a challenge. It's not a question. And so um, uh, you don't need me for those things. That anybody can figure that out. Uh, what ancient Jewish wisdom helps with is, um, is showing how it's not a set of tricks. 
uh, it's not, hey, come to my three-hour seminar and I'm going to give you 10 tricks to fool people into parting with their money. It's not that at all. It's um, absorb some of the 10 commandments of making money, absorb some of the fundamental principles of people and money uh, so as that you can change not only what you do, but even just as importantly, change who you are. Uh, people can really tell when you like people or when you're putting on an act. You may think you're a very good actor, but believe me, you know, you, you'd have to be a Walter Matthau. You'd have to be a Robert De Niro in order to pull this off. And trust me, you're not. I'm not even. <laughs> and so uh, people, you're not going to be able to fool people that you like them if you don't. And so you need instruction in how to change who you are and to, to become a person who really likes people. Um, you know, a quick example is uh, uh, I teach, if you know, and I know this doesn't apply to you or to your listeners, but, you know, imagine somebody who uses a lot of um, obscenity in their language. They can't help peppering their conversation with vulgarities. Um, and so I say to a person like that, and this happens to me many times, I say, you've got to remove that from your vocabulary. You've got to become a person who can talk for five minutes without dropping an F-bomb. And the person says, look, Rabbi Lappin, you know, don't be an idiot. Uh, you really think that I would speak like that when I'm in business, you know, when I'm talking to a sales prospect, when I'm talking to an interviewer? I don't speak like that. And I have to say to him, look, with all due respect, I'm not the idiot you are. Because, of course, I know you're not going to use that language when you're speaking to somebody financially important to you. Notice how manipulatively you think. But it's even worse than that. And that is that um, what you don't realize is that your brain takes a finite period of time to substitute words. You're so accustomed to using the F-bomb as an adjective and as a verb and as an adverb that when you mentally set about speaking without it, then your brain has to reprocess your verbal flow and it has to pull out bad word, replace it with good word. Now, because from your side, in your brain, you think that's happening simultaneously, but you're wrong. It takes a perceptible moment. And we all see that. And to us, it comes across as insincerity. I know that's not what you mean. It. <laughs> By you, it's just finding the right word to substitute. The only way to fix this up is to remove your habit of speaking like that. You actually have to stop speaking that way. Oh, what will my friends think? Well, they'll be envious of your newly acquired wealth is what they'll think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And your uh, fortitude to be able to overcome something that a yeah. lot of people just continue to struggle with. So, man, there is just so much wealth in here. I hey, Rachel, am. We do have a we do have a question. Yeah, go uh, ahead. It's kind of interesting. Uh, oh yeah. Elnora asking, uh, what does the rabbi think about the or what the Bible says or the Torah uh, say about trading in the stock market, which? You know, I think that's you're going to have to extrapolate that because obviously the stock market wasn't around during that time period. But uh, maybe you could comment on that, Rabbi. Um, sure. So um, the ancient Jewish wisdom through the or the Bible through ancient Jewish wisdom frowns on gambling. 
because it's one of the very few activities, including going to the bathroom, that helps only you and no other human being. Now, it's not that we shouldn't go to the bathroom. It's just that most human beings are a little embarrassed about going to the bathroom. And so we close the door behind us and we even pretend, you know, that nothing is really happening there. We, we have monogram towels and we have fancy wallpaper on the wall and we have soap cast in the shape of little seashells. And, uh, and that's all to cover up something which should have been perfectly natural, right? I'm not aware of any animal exhibiting embarrassment at, at, at relieving itself, but no, human beings do because our souls tell us that we're doing something, we are created to be helpers and givers to other human beings. This is one of the few times in our lives where on a regular basis, we are not helping anybody else. That's why it's called relieving yourself. It's not relieving anybody else. And so gambling is like that. When I buy an ice cream, I'm not only making me happy, I'm making the ice cream seller happy. But when mm. I gamble I'm, and I win, I'm making only me happy. Because the person on the other side of the transaction is unhappy. And so the first thing to understand about the stock market is, is it a gamble or not? If it's a gamble, we shouldn't do it. And uh, the answer is, it's not a gamble. You might say, well, wait a sec, you know, the Bible didn't have stock markets. Yes, it did. It absolutely did. It had futures trading, always, in biblical times, uh, far back as you go. Um, even in the United States of America, in its founding days, long before the telegraph, long before the internet, long before telephones, um, there was such a thing as futures. People would guarantee the price on next, you know, next season's harvest of wheat or whatever. All of this is just a variation of the stock market. So the stock market is not a gamble. Uh, it's actually providing a service. And um, uh, it's not that when I buy a stock, I win and the other person loses. If that were the case, he wouldn't sell me the stock. He's only selling me the stock because it suits him. It's either in terms of what he's already made, or it's in terms of his needing of cash, or it's in terms of what he believes that stock is going to be doing in the future. But um, he is happy to do the trade. And I buy the stock not because anybody's pointing a revolver at my head, but because I want to do the trade. And so we're actually benefiting one another. And while we're doing that, we're providing capital to entrepreneurs. So yeah, uh, the stock market is definitely a, a legitimate avenue of investment. You just need to know exactly what you're doing. You've got to be uh, cautious and your investment strategy has to match your investment objectives. But that's something that your financial advisors already told you. So we have a, another question as well that um, I saw in here, and um, it's a, it's this a, is a great question about uh, the Bible. Yeah, so it's uh, a Vinny, Vinny Das. He's asking about Genesis one twenty six says that God created man to have a dominion over every moving thing. Is this a reference to business? Um, it's a it's a reference to uh, building air conditioning systems. In what way? I'm, I'm um, stuck God, God has said, look, I've given you an imperfect world. The Garden of Eden was perfect. You know, too bad. You blew that. Now we go to plan B. Plan B is you're going to have to be a partner and you're going to have to improve the world. So your job is to convert swamps into meadows and fields. Your job is to, uh, is to uh, convert 
uh, jungle into farmland. Uh, your job is to create medicines that will allow you to dominate viruses and illnesses and diseases. Um, your job is to uh, create heating systems so people can live in cold times without suffering and to create air conditioning systems so people can live in warm areas and so on and so forth. And so we're actually doing God's work in all of these areas. Uh, and understanding of that is one of the reasons that over 97% of all the scientific, technological, and medical discoveries and inventions from 900 up to 1900, for that thousand year period, 97% uh, of them were invented by Christians within Christian societies. Wow. Because it's so Bible related, this idea that it's not just fate. God isn't just saying, hey, you know what? There's a disease, too bad you die. That's a biblical idea. And only Christianity and Judaism draw wisdom from the Bible. So, um, uh, yeah, that's a very important verse that you cite. And it says, I expect you, and the, the English word might be conquer. In other words, conquer the earth. That doesn't mean destroy the earth. It doesn't mean harm it. It means be able to dominate it so that you can live in the earth and live on the earth. You know, don't forget, uh, Australia happens to be one of the places you know, which is a little extreme in the sense that almost everything you meet in Australia is trying to kill you, uh, you know, whether it's alligators or spiders or snakes. But nature is pretty rough. You know, this idea that nature is benign was another lie from the French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Uh, nature is far from benign. Nature really doesn't care if you die of starvation or if you fall off a cliff and break your legs and nobody comes to rescue you. Nature really doesn't care about that that the the solution to all of those things is conquering the world and that's something that western civilization under the guidance of the bible has been doing for hundreds of years oh, fascinating all right so we are at the top of the hour thank you all for joining in and for your questions your comments and just from all over the world i mean we had so many more even commenting uk malawi um nyc dubai um so thank you all for being here today. Rabbi, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and just really going deep into helping us to really understand and have a healthy perspective and big picture of what the Bible means when it you say you shall prosper. And and when when we're in a position of saying, really, it is good to serve other people and to have financial success and to be able to pursue those things and to develop your ability to do so more effectively puts you in a position of having to choose to grow and become really the person that you're meant to be. So uh, thank you so much. We will continue to invite you back. I'm just thankful for you. your, your willingness to continue to come to our show. And I think it's been about every three months. So thank you for that. Can you please make sure that everyone knows exactly where they can find you? And I've already mentioned Business Secrets from the Bible I've read. Also, Thou Shall Prosper, both fabulous books. Please tell us where people can find yeah, sure. more of and, your resources. Uh, and uh, Rachel and Bruce, thanks so much for having me. It's always a delight conversing with you. And um, and and I I enjoy it and, and uh, delighted to know that people are finding it helpful and useful. Um, more of that at my website, uh, rabbidaniellappin.com, rabbidaniellappin.com. You will find the books there. You'll also find my books on online elsewhere. 
and uh, at rabbidaniellappin.com, you'll also find online courses such as the Financial Prosperity Program, uh, where I give um, 10 hours of video instruction on specifically improving and increasing your ability to raise to to earn money. Thank you very much. And I have gone ahead and posted that link as well to everyone in the live chat on um, Facebook and on YouTube so that that resource is available there as well. Thank you so much for being with us today. And in closing, I would say two things. First, go to rabbidaniellappin.com, dig into those resources we have in our family used and read and gone through countless of those resources, and I cannot speak highly enough of them. You also have a podcast. All of that can be found at rabbidaniellappin.com. And also in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd. And I would say model the ancient wisdom, not just the modern perspective, and live a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.